Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Becoming, a new podcast where we explore the age-old question of who do you want to be when you grow up? I'm Katherine Tang, and for this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Zane Whitfield, who is a firefighter by day and the owner of Northrop Princess Recording Studio by night. Zane and I got to know each other a few years ago when his daughter was in my grade seven class. The very first time I met him was actually at a school fire drill that he was on call for. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Zane as we talk about firefighting, the long game, and the importance of service and hospitality. So Zane, welcome to the podcast. It's really nice to be able to chat with you today. Uh, thanks for having me, Catherine. This is, um, this is a nice treat. Maybe let's start off if you want to just introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. Okay, well, my name's Zane, Zane Whitfield, and I, uh, I work as a firefighter in Kingston. And I also, on the side, I have sort of a hobby and a side business of a recording studio. So I work with musicians and engineers and producers and other artists. Being a firefighter is sort of like this quintessential thing when you ask kids what they want to be when they grow up. Oftentimes, they want to be a firefighter. So is that something you've always wanted to do? Or how did you come to be in this profession? I sort of fell into it. It wasn't, wasn't something that was on my list as uh, as a youngster. I was working in the service industry after leaving high school and uh, working as a waiter, enjoying that, but sort of starting to think about what I'd like to do as sort of a, a profession. And a friend of mine who I went to, to high school with and I grew up with uh, was doing some volunteer firefighting in uh, West End of Kingston. And yeah, he sort of put the bug in my ear as being something that he thought that I might enjoy. So yeah, I kind of paid attention to that a little bit. And uh, when they were doing a hiring process for the uh, volunteer department, or it's the old Kingston Township Fire Department, I went and applied. And yeah, I got a position with the volunteer fire department there. So it was kind of in those days, it was just, you know, you start coming to training and they take you downstairs and they get you, um, you know, some bunker gear and some equipment and that sort of stuff. And your your training sort of starts on the job. You, you get a pager and they, yeah, it's it's changed over the years. But it was something where, yeah, a little bit of mechanical aptitude and uh, intuition and that sort of stuff. And you start learning the skills of the job on, on the go. I wanted to know how Zane moved from being a volunteer firefighter to a full-time firefighter. So he shared a bit about his experience applying to positions in Kingston and also in Toronto. When I applied to Toronto, I was writing in an auditorium of a couple of thousand people. And that was one day of several days for like a hiring of 20 people or something like that. So it was, yeah, the competition was fairly fierce and, and still is fortunate to say I've got 16 years as a full-time firefighter under my belt now. So I'm really curious in terms of um, what a firefighter actually does. Can you sort of walk us through um, what maybe a day looks like? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, obviously, one of the main appeals with the job is that, you know, you go into work and you you never know what you're going to get into, right? It's, uh, It's different every day. So Zane and I chat for a while about some of these duties, things like checking equipment, station duties, like washing the truck, cleaning the toilets, mopping the floors, doing training on the equipment and on tactical skills, 
And then he says something that I misinterpret. Uh, practicing efficiently catching fire hydrants. That's what you call when we, <laughs> when we uh, hook up to a fire hydrant. We call that catching a hydrant. Um, I was having this picture of you like literally tossing fire hydrants. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to do that in a training scenario, but <laughs> yeah. Something else that I learned was that the fire service also has some specialty teams. I'm involved in the Marine program. Kingston being a, a big water city, uh, we have a Marine division and we have a 40 foot fireboat that responds to emergencies on the water and uh, along the shoreline and assists Coast Guard. And so how did you get involved in that, the Marine program? That sounds really cool. Well, when I was in high school, I worked at Collins Bay Marina uh, for about five years. So I've been comfortable around boats. Uh, My family had a sailboat growing up and I did a lot of racing. Um, and so I feel pretty comfortable on the water and know my way around the Kingston, uh, Kingston water. And yeah, so when, when they were looking for people to join up, I, uh, was quick to put my name in because it's sort of something that interests me for sure. And that's kind of interesting. I find that that often happens where, you know, you do something growing up, um, and you don't really intend for it to have any sort of application to your job and then you realize oh it's a great experience that you had that was definitely a factor when I was able to submit sort of my interest and my experience and so yeah there's no no question that uh, you know having that previous experience helped me you know just in in my own job that I already had that you know I, I wasn't required to sort of join any special team necessarily and it was just something that piqued the interest for sure and so if we look back, you know, to elementary school and high school, um, what did you think, what sort of career path were you thinking about or who did you want to be when you grew up? Well, to be honest, Catherine, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I loved going to school for the, the social aspects and that sort of <laughs> stuff. And I loved, you know, I loved learning things when I was interested in stuff, but like I wasn't the best student out there. You know, I was always involved in student council and the spirit side of school. And like that sort of reflected my interest in just like, you know, I just love human beings and people in general. So I always kind of get involved in that sort of way. But I, you know, I, I feel that reflecting back on high school that maybe I should have taken uh, auto shop and uh, woodworking and, um, maybe some of the more applied things because, you know, I was sort of, you know, I had a diverse friend group, um, but the people that I was like sort of closest to, I felt, you know, were sort of on that university path. Looking back on it, I it just, it just wasn't really me. And I, I actually only just in the past five years kind of feel that, you know, I could get myself in a headspace where I could go to university and or or do some post-secondary sort of education beyond the sort of on-the-job training I get and it's just the, the self-learning that I do with the studio and that kind of stuff. After high school, did you end up going on to university or did you move into the service industry right away? No, I moved into the service industry right away. I, I finished my grade 12 and part of, uh, part of grade 13. And yeah, I was kind of just anxious to start earning a living and 
yeah, I just didn't see myself on that, that university path at that time. I, you know, I know we'll, we'll maybe talk about some of the music stuff and the studio stuff, but it part of my philosophy with uh, how I run the studio and how I, you know, work with people in the studio, I kind of feel it's, it's part of the service industry as well. And I feel like I learned a bunch of skills in that industry to sort of, you know, help me with how I run my uh, my studio you know i focus on service and hospitality um when people come in here so yeah so i that's sort of tying together the uh the restaurant business with um what i do in the in the music industry as well yeah so why don't we sort of move and uh talk about that so you have a recording studio and um that's something um you know not everybody has a recording studio in in the back. So how did you uh, how did you get started with that, and uh, what are some things that you've you've done that you've really enjoyed? So, growing up through high school, I always sort of played in bands, and I've been recording, you know, since I was thirteen. I got a, a four track recorder when I was thirteen from my dad, and he's always encouraged me, you know, in music and, and in recording and whatnot. And I grew up around a musical home. And uh, so that, that sort of carried on through, you know, through the years. And uh, I played in a band in town um, for a bunch of years. The uh, band was called Beta Blocka. It was with a bunch of uh, friends from high school and people I met outside of high school. And I um, continued my interest in recording while I played in the band. And I thought at one point in time that like we were, we were paying for a rehearsal space and this sort of stuff. And I thought, you know, it'd be really great if we could kind of create a place for us to make records, and, you know, produce our own music from. And so that sort of was the start of me conceptualizing what I ended up building. And um, yeah, so I uh, started that process of thinking about what, this space would be. I mean, it evolved over time, but it was originally thought of as as a spot to make records with my band and sort of shifted since then. What made you kind of take the plunge and say, hey, we can actually grow this? So, well, I, I guess a, a big part of it is I was always, you know, playing in the band, I was always um, way more interested in the next thing we were going to work on than the stuff that we had already done. So I'm constantly looking for the next thing to do. And I don't like to sit still and I don't, uh, um, I don't like to rest on my laurels. I, I guess you could say whether it's in a band playing music or just, just with anything really. And I, um, so yeah, that, that, that was sort of the concept at that point. It was just like, well, let's, let's start thinking about the space and um, I wasn't sort of independently wealthy, so I needed to sort of <laughs> earn earn money to afford this bad habit that I call music, and uh, or good habit. Um, and so, you know, I, my wife and I started looking for a, for a spot to be able to sort of have have this sort of space that I ended up with. And so, really, it was like it was like. Uh, a 10 year sort of plan. Like it was a, a long plan to sort of uh, 
have this thing come to fruition. So yeah, the plan sort of evolved and we found a spot and I first had to renovate my house a little bit to sort of add some value in the house so I could uh, afford to actually build the studio and and pull some equity out of my house. So I had to I had to do a little bit of that first because like I said, it was like all you know, self-funded this, this thing. And so after we sort of renovated the house and got that kind of cleaned up into the spot that we wanted, we started looking at what it is that we wanted to do for building the, the, uh, the studio. So I was actually uh, in Toronto at a mastering house. It's a spot where it's kind of like the final step before your, uh, your album gets put onto a CD or whatever. And I was at this beautiful mastering studio in Toronto with my band, um, having our record mastered. And uh, I asked the the owner where he had his studio designed. And, you know, uh, we had a really nice chat about all that stuff. And it turned out the architect was um, in Toronto as well and was, you know, a, a decent person and approachable and that kind of thing. And... I mean, if you could look at the space that I was in for that, at this mastering house, it, it was just absolutely beautiful architecturally and, and sonically. And I think to some might be, you know, intimidating to say, well, it's, it's in a league that's like out of what I can either afford or it's out of my league in terms of, you know, my abilities or that kind of thing. But I was just like, you know what, it doesn't hurt to just, you know, make a phone call and see what happens. So that's what I did. I cold called the architect and said, look, this is what I'm thinking. I, I, I want to just design a small studio to fit in the back of my property. And would you be interested? And he, uh, he was totally into it. He's building some of the largest uh, recording studios in the world. Some of the, the most uh, critically acclaimed studios in the world, like for, for new, new studio builds, but he's also up for, uh, interesting projects and coming up with economical ways to sort of get high-end results without uh, big price tags. So that was sort of the the uh, introduction to 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 getting what what I ended up with. That's awesome, and it it sounds like you know I'm hearing this vein of you always just sort of thinking about the future and thinking about what's next, and um, like that takes a lot of guts just to be able to cold call someone and and definitely paid off in the end it sure did yeah and so your recording studio is called north of princess so how did you come up with that name well for anybody that's lived in kingston for a, uh, a good period of time um they sort of know the negative connotations to um the label north of princess and it sort of historically has had uh has been the neighborhood I'm in has been uh, sort of seen as a kind of a rough neighborhood and uh, an undesirable spot to go and, and live. Um, there was a portion of my childhood that I grew up in this neighborhood and we jumped around quite a bit. My dad did lots of uh, renovating and moving into like a newer house. And, you know, we were constant, kind of constantly all on the move, just sort of, upgrading the situation and that kind of stuff. So I come by this stuff, honestly. Yeah. It's just the, the, the label to me, North of princess was, um, you know, never really meant anything to me. 
I kind of knew what this neighborhood was like. It's a colorful neighborhood with all kinds of diversity, people from different walks of life, um, ethnic backgrounds, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds and that kind of stuff. And although the neighborhood sort of has gentrified over the past 10 to 20 years, it's uh, still a a diverse neighborhood. And yeah, so I I don't know, I, I guess... I just wanted uh, North of Princess to be uh, for my studio is, which, you know, I think is, and, and by the accounts of people that come in and see this, the, the space, um, you know, it's, it's a nice spot and it's a spot that people feel comfortable and relaxed and inspired to sort of create. And I think that um, it's nice to have North of Princess, um, sort of mean something different to uh, this generation, I guess, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Kingston is so well positioned in the sense of music. Like we have so many, um, so many different groups and so many um, just really interesting up and coming bands and stuff like that. And so how did you, um, you've sort of done quite a bit of work with a, a lot of different bands. How did you first get started with people outside of like, I guess your own, your own group? Well, I guess, yeah, so I guess originally this was just mostly going to be for uh, for myself and my band. And I just, uh, over the, the period of time that uh, my dad and I took to build this, which is about two years, you know, it was sort of, um, I've had, had lots of friends in the music business and, and musicians in the neighborhood that, you know, sort of knew that I was taking on this project. And um, it sort of morphed into something a little bit, more than what I was originally, you know, had intended. And so, yeah, it's kind of been a word of mouth thing. I haven't really taken a strong, um, I guess, yeah, I I have this, the whole social media and social uh, marketing sort of thing hasn't been something I've been like super interested in. I know it's a little bit of a necessity for up and upstart like businesses and that sort of stuff nowadays it's kind of the way you get your your word out and that kind of thing but I guess uh, mine sort of happened a little more organically and I, I just had was able to kind of do word of mouth and you know make sure people had good experiences while they're here and and spread the word really and kind of coming back to the service, you had talked a little bit about the philosophy of the studio and and how you think the service industry sort of positioned you well to be able to to offer that sort of hospitality. Um, what does that look like when people come into the studio? There's lots of little ways to sort of just, you know, introduce that sort of stuff in terms of like just small stuff is making sure that people, you know, like I've got a fresh pot of coffee on and water out here and when people come stay at the uh you know at at the studio and at our house like we just you know I'll sometimes cook for the people and I usually like to make sure that I bring out um good snacks I I tend to kind of bring out a good a nice uh, plate of like uh, veggies and dip and uh charcuterie boards and meats and cheeses and you know just kind of treat people like you know it's not just all about you know, making making good music and and um, and records and recordings isn't just all about putting mics in front of people and getting them to do their things. It's like a it's a little bit about 
you know, creating a comfort zone for people to feel relaxed and, um, you know, cared for. And so that's sort of the way that I, I do that in here, you know, like I'm always quick to, um, sort of just read the situation. That's a big part of what, you know, when you work in the restaurant, you're sort of always looking at your tables and seeing and predicting what people's needs are going to be like, you know, right at that moment and in five minutes from that moment. And, uh, you know, whether it's somebody's drink is getting low or the, 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 somebody's almost done their, their uh, appetizer and the plates need to be cleared. So there's always this constant uh, scanning of, you know, your situation are the lights dimmed in just a way that they, you know, kind of creates an ambiance and a mood for people to feel just comfortable. Um, or is the music, uh, you know, set at the right level? And I'm talking about the, the restaurant industry. And uh, these are kind of the sort of the philosophies and the things that I think about in here. You know, I like to make sure that I've uh, thought ahead to the potential things that artists might need in order to create an environment to be creative and um, put forward their best, um, you know, performance or whatever. It sounds like, you know, you're creating, I think even about the classroom, like you're creating this environment where people can really do their best work. And it, it sounds very much like you're doing that, but for, for musicians and for the people who come into your studio. So that's really awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's important for sure looking forward is there something that you are working on that you're really excited about um where do you hope to see this sort of go uh i think i just i kind of just keep on the same path and um Mm -hmm. you know it's worked out well for me i've recently had a few real cool projects come through the studio that uh, i'm excited to share the news about in the coming months um and yeah, and that, like so, that I've I've been doing this f- sort of as like a side project type thing for ten years, and you know, there's been ups and downs in terms of like you know wondering about how much you know time I want to spend in here, and it mixed with like other things that I like to do, and and spending time with my family and all that stuff because it's all a compromise. But um, at you know, I kind of just feel that there's there's been a, a good little step up and a bump in terms of, you know, the kind of work that I'm doing in here. And it's, you know, it's, I think it's to be sort of looked at as like a lifelong journey, really. I mean, I gave up long ago, like uh, expecting um, certain things uh, and just sort of let things happen organically and, and stay on your path. I mean, I think, when you're young, sometimes you can lose sight of the value in just, you know, holding a course, you know, if you believe in it and, um, and then, you know, seeing, seeing the results and the fruits of your labor sort of come back to you. If you, you know, you put the time in it's, I think sometimes you can get this, this worldview that things are going to happen faster than they actually they actually do and but just some things need some time and uh i think that's a good message to sort of to send out to to kids in general really like the you know just work hard and obviously you have to constantly analyze 
you know, your course and whether you're doing the right thing and make adjustments as you go. But, you know, typically, like, I, I don't know, I, that you might know the rule better than I do, but I've heard that you need, you know, like 10,000 hours to become a master at, uh, at a craft or at something. And that's a, that's a lot of time and a lot of hours. So it's it, it takes work and dedication to sort of, you know, get there. Yeah, and looking sort of at... Um, where you've come from, you being in high school, it seems like you've really, you really have held the course and you've are now being able to see like, oh, how everything comes together and, and just to, um, to be able to give back. We also talked a little bit about something that Zane had done for the Elm Cafe, which was a local business in his neighborhood. I guess to give some context to the, to what it was, they were being vandalized and, uh, it was like, you know, I kind of, in some small part saw them, uh, you know, as like, it was kind of a reflection of what I was, I was doing what what this young couple was trying to do in the neighborhood and to constantly be vandalized like that. It just, uh, didn't sit really well with me. I was just really bummed about the whole situation. And I, you know, fully aware of, uh, some of the issues that sort of sparked that with, uh, anti-gentrification because there are issues that come with, uh, neighborhoods that gentrify, and I am certainly guilty of, you know, contributing to that. So I, I, I respect some of the social issues that are attached to that sort of thing, but at the same time, I just felt that uh, it was a really tough thing to sort of watch, you know, like a neighbor just around the corner being sort of constantly targeted like that. So yeah, I mean, I. Uh, I think I was just speaking for the rest of the, the people in the neighborhood in terms of uh, setting up a GoFundMe to sort of help them with some of their costs that were associated with like cleaning up and fixing some of the vandalism that happened there. I mean, I was more so like I was probably more attached to just being a good human being, like, a, a, you know, and, and just like everybody else in the neighborhood having a hard time kind of looking at that and seeing that happen to somebody. So just, lifting somebody up when they're kind of down right so yeah and so I guess um to end off if you had to give some advice to someone who's maybe still in school or um trying to figure out what they want to do what would you um what would you share to them I guess uh a little bit of something that I've sort of realized over the years I mean I've since heard uh, motivational speakers like uh, <laughs> relay the same sort of message, but, uh, my own take in terms of, you know, getting to the next phase in your, in your life or at the next, the next spot you'd like to see yourself has been to sort of set, uh, small attainable goals for yourself, goals that you can actually do and that you can, you can fulfill and see, um, see accomplished you know, on the path to like maybe a larger goal. I think that if you set yourself up like that, you know, you're constantly, uh, constantly achieving your goals that you set for yourself because they're attainable and they're, and they're something that you can do right at this moment. And it's a stepping stone to like maybe a larger vision of where you'd like to see yourself. Then it's generally a pretty good, you know, method for getting to that, that bigger picture. And you know, you also get to enjoy the, the the successes as you go when you're when you're hitting all of these sort of goals you set for yourself. So, I mean, I guess in 
in conjunction with putting in the time and the and the effort like things things don't come come easy and quickly you know it takes work to sort of achieve the things that are going to mean a lot to you in life and you know if you just sort of stick at it and if you if you believe in the course that you've sort of set for yourself you know it'll come in time you just need to put in your time all right well thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today Uh, thanks Catherine. that was uh, really nice to chat with you so there you have it episode two of becoming with me Catherine tang if you'd like to connect with zane you can find him online at www.northofprincess.com thank you so much for listening and i hope to see you next week